before I get started, I usually don't do this, but we are so blessed with the worship teams that we have. We are so blessed. Um, I don't care. You can search the internet and listen to worship music and watch videos, whatever it is to get your heart stirred. But we have been blessed by the people who are willing to use their gifts, get here at 7.30 in the morning, set up, push carts, and then lead us to the throne of God. Um, one more time, just thank you guys. Thank you. When we wrap up our series, am I on, Gary? We wrap up our series, Family Matters Today, with the title, Hashtag in-laws. And out of all the messages, this is the one that applies to just about everybody in one way or another. Our relationships with our in-laws can be complicated. Some of you are blessed with wonderful in-laws. But marriage experts say that three-fourths of all couples have significant problems with their in-laws. Is it any wonder that Adam and Eve got along so well, right? No in-laws at all. I am blessed to have wonderful in-laws who have always been supportive of Brenna and myself. And there are ways to improve your relationships with your in-laws. We're gonna go through some of those, if only kind of statements that would help our relationship with those we love. First one is, if my in-laws would receive me as their own, my relationship would be better. It can feel overwhelming to spend time with in-laws who treat you like an outlaw. You never feel, really feel like you're a part of the family. Instead of being treated like a daughter, you're treated like the woman who took the son away, and you can never really be good enough. One woman wrote to an advice column, she shared, after 12 years of marriage, my husband's family still makes cutting remarks about how he married beneath him. They blame me for any minor problems the family or kids have. I can't take it anymore. My husband admits his parents treat me badly, but he won't stand up to them. Then she asks, is it inappropriate to exclude myself from family events. And it's not just the mother, father-in-law that we're talking about. It's not just parents that don't feel accept. There are parents that don't accept their son or daughter-in-law. Many feel rejected by a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law. This is huge. Oftentimes, the feeling of not being accepted is a problem of unrealistic expectations. You expect things to be different, but not as different as they are compared to the home you grew up in, and it's hard to accept those, or the expectations of whom your daughter or son will eventually marry. You have idealistic expectations of that, and it's hard to accept who they end up with, and really the truth is they'll never be good enough in some cases. Brenda and I are thrilled with our son-in-law and our daughter-in-law. Here's a picture of them. 
this is our son-in-law that many of you know, Eric, here on, the, on my right. Um, he's a little directionally challenged when we go on trips together. Drives me crazy. He can be a little loud. You know that commercial where the guy's screaming from the driveway? It says, whatever his name is, don't scream, you're right here next to me. He said, why do you do that? He said, because that's what I do. Well, that's Eric, loud, all right? But we love him to death. We are blessed to have him in our family. Janine, our daughter-in-law, is on the left with our son Brent, and she has been a blessing to us as well. And we'll share a little bit more about their family later on. Would you come to accept them and love them for who they are? Imperfections and all their blessings. The Bible tells us a story about a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law named Ruth and Naomi. Ruth was married to Naomi's sons, and then they lived in Moab for about 10 years. Then we read in Ruth 1.5, Naomi's son, Ruth's husband dies. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept out loud and said to her, we will go back we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more, any more sons who could become your husbands? Then down to verse 14. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods, little g. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now these words of Ruth to her mother-in-law are often used in a wedding ceremony for a husband and wife, but that's not what they were intended for. These were words between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, between in-laws. And I love, as we read through that, did you catch that? She doesn't refer to the girls as daughter-in-laws. She calls them her daughters, her daughters. And what's surprising is that they were able to cross some significant obstacles in their relationship to get there. Many in-laws experience hurdles one of those are caused by a clash of cultures where you arrive into a family and that family isn't all like the family that you were raised in, much different than your own. You run into things that you weren't expecting to run into. 
Ruth and Naomi would have had a culture class clash in a number of different areas that are still common today. And in these areas, we can have unrealistic expectations going into them. The first is family traditions. Family traditions. Naomi was from Bethlehem. Ruth was from Moab. The Jewish culture of Bethlehem was rich in family traditions. So it would have been much different. They would have had special ceremonies. They would have, eat, they would have had different ways that they handled their mealtime and made it really a spiritual event. It would have been difficult for both of them coming out of totally different traditions to meet. Our kids were taught when we go on vacation, we always go on vacation to the beach. Bree and Brent were raised to know when we go to the ocean, we eat as many steamed blue crabs as we possibly can while we're there. <coughs> they also were taught that at Thanksgiving, if you were a part of our family, you would eat what endive. We buy giant eagle out of endive at Thanksgiving. And we cook it in a special recipe that was passed down from my great-grandmother, Hugus. Everybody in the family is expected to eat it. Now, Eric has an issue. He doesn't eat blue crabs till he's sick, and he won't even taste endive. So every Thanksgiving, there's a clash of culture, and on vacation, he's forced to eat blue crab. I don't know what it is in your family. There are other issues between us, not serious, more so fun. Some families go out and give gifts at Christmas, where others really don't give that many gifts. Others make a big deal out of birthdays. Some families go together to church to worship on Christmas Eve, it's priority. Other families stay at home on Christmas Eve. Some grew up having Christmas ham, while the other side of the family grew up having turkey dinners. Just all kinds of little ins and outs. In a marriage, often happens both sets of parents expect the kids to be present at their house for Thanksgiving. It's impossible as parents move farther away and you can't make it. Family traditions create unrealistic expectations. Another clash of culture is regard, in regard to religious beliefs. We catch us in several places. Naomi was not brought up to worship the one true God. There's a reference to gods in the verses that forced, that we were forced to worship in Moab. Ruth ended up going to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And I can imagine it was very, very difficult for Naomi and her sons when her sons married girls from Moab. She always dreamed that they would accept girls that were in their faith, but it didn't turn out that way. Another way our relationships could improve is if my in-laws would come to know Christ and come to church with us. Maybe your heart broke when your son or your daughter married someone who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. You worried about the home your grandkids would be raised in, how they would turn out. You desperately wanted them to experience 
a marriage where Christ was at the center. And maybe that will never happen. Or maybe it's difficult for you to go and visit your spouse's family. They don't pray before meals. They don't go to worship on the weekends. Their lifestyle isn't even close to what your lifestyle is and what you're used to. I love what happens in the story of Ruth and Naomi. Through their close relationship and the accepting love that Naomi gives to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth finally says, your God will be my God. Instead of rejecting Ruth because she didn't have the same faith, she wasn't raised the same way, Naomi continued to love her, give her grace and acceptance, and she eventually came to believe in God. I don't know if you know this, but in Matthew chapter 1, when you read the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So all that happens with Naomi and Ruth put together results in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that's just absolutely awesome that Jesus was a descendant of Ruth. So if you find yourself with an in-law that's not a believer, doesn't share the same faith views as you do, be patient, continue to extend grace, continue to extend love to them, don't preach at them, instead try loving them. Get excited this summer when you're gonna be with your in-laws, even that one in-law that you don't wanna talk to. Consider a mission trip. All right, your family get together a mission trip where you can share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with your other family members. The best thing you can do is communicate acceptance and value and love to your in-laws. Listen to some encouragement from Scripture. Romans 15, 7. Let's read this together. Romans 15, 7. Accept Another one, read this one, Philippians 2, 4. Each of you, one more, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Now I want to challenge you to take those three verses, let them encourage you, but put names in there. For instance, Accept your mother-in-law just as Christ accepted you. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of your son-in-law. Encourage your daughter-in-law and build her up. Personalize it. Brenna's mom and dad have always accepted me and expressed love to me and treated me as I was their own. Through cards, phone calls, emails. I think last week or the week before, she intentionally called my cell phone, her mom did, so that she could talk to me before she talked to Brenna. 
do that. When you call, don't say, is my daughter there? Is my son there? Spend time talking to your daughter-in-law, to your son-in-law. Invite your father-in-law or your brother-in-law to go to the ball game with you. Ask your sister-in-law to go shopping with you. Call your mother-in-law and ask her for her favorite recipe and tell her you love it. Little things you can do to express acceptance and love to your in-laws that goes a long, long way. Third, a relationship would improve if my in-laws would respect my space. Some would say, I wish my in-laws would not be so controlling. I wish they'd call before they come over. I wish they wouldn't give us so much unwanted advice. Often the problem in all these areas is the boundaries have not been set. And I want to talk about that, but before I do, I got to tell you, today, it seems like more in-laws don't want to be involved at all in the lives of their kids' families than too many that are overbearing. There seems to be a growing trend with mother and father-in-laws, instead of being intrusive, they're distant because they become self-absorbed or focused in their own career, traveling, retirement. When the kids get married, their attitude is, well, my job's done. They're on their own. If you are not parents, grandparents, if you are not involved in the lives of your kids after they're married, you are missing out on one of the greatest seasons of parenting. Of parenting. There is not many things that are greater investments than you investing in the lives of your grandkids. One of the best things that ever happened to Brenda and I is that God blessed us with grandkids. Not that our kids weren't okay, but our grandkids are something else. And he's found it fit for us to be with Paley and Pryor and Pierre weekly here as they live close that we can pour into them, go to their ball games. We don't miss a ball game of theirs. Just investing in them. Now, our new one, Arvin, He's in Arizona, so it's a little bit tougher. But you can still invest in their lives by FaceTiming, sharing videos back and forth, texting. Sometimes the time difference from Arizona to here drives me nuts. You know, we might get a text or a video at midnight where out there it's only 9 o'clock. Here's one of the latest. you got to listen close. One of the latest, latest videos of our grandson Arvin in Arizona. Watch. Arvin, that's not hand sanitizer, that's a light. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? Little do we know the effect that COVID is having on our kids, right? Crazy. I saw that and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and we went back and forth texting for about an hour on that. Take advantage of the little moments even if they're distant, that you can celebrate even with the technology we've been blessed with. But maybe on the other side of this, your in-laws are more smothering and they don't respect your space. You're constantly dealing with uninvited or overextended visits. James 3.17 says, wisdom that comes from heaven is 
considerate. Parents, maybe you mean well, but you can come off as critical, overbearing as in-laws. You have to respect the space of your kids. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, we read about Moses and his father-in-law. The 40 years before Moses went to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery, he had been working for his father-in-law, Jethro, as a shepherd in Midian. I want you to imagine what it would be like for your son-in-law to come up to you and say, hey, I've been working for you as a shepherd for over 40 years. I realize your daughter and your grandkids, I, I realize you're close to them, you love being near them, but I gotta tell you about this bush thing. God has called me and my family to go free two to three million Israelites out of the land of Egypt, Jethro. Jethro must have been tempted to say, you're out of your mind. No way are you going to take my daughter and my grandkids all the way across the desert. He could have forbid it. He could have said, no way. He said, Moses, how wise is it to take your family across the desert? Moses, how fair is it? that you take my daughter who always has been a homebody and you take her away. Moses, what about the grandkids? But what is fascinating is what we don't read about Jethro. And while Joseph, or Moses excuse me, completes his call, we find Jethro encouraging him all the way to succeed. It can be difficult for a mother-in-law and a father-in-law not to intervene. When you do intervene, it can end up creating a triangle within the marriage and cause nothing but disruption. Perhaps one of the most helpful things is to remember the basic definition of what marriage is. Marriage is not defined by our culture. Marriage is not defined by a judge. Marriage is divine, defined by God who invented it. His definition comes from Genesis 2:22. God created woman. And then verse 24, he says, "For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh." God explains that when someone gets married, they are then united as husband and wife as one they're united with their spouse. And that word united has the idea of weaving something together. And it's captured in a wedding ceremony. There's the giving away of the bride by the father. There's the exchanging of vows. There's the exchanging of rings. And then ultimately there's a pronouncement of a couple being husband and wife. And when they are pronounced husband and wife, the bride and the groom now have extended family with their former families and they have a new immediate family. Sometimes that's hard to grab a hold of. But God's will in marriage is for the husband and wife to be united as one. And anything that's done to intervene in that process is against God's will. It doesn't mean you retire as a parent, but it means you establish the boundaries between an immediate family and an extended family. I've heard a lot of fathers 
answered a question with tears running down their cheeks. And the question is this. It's one of the toughest questions a father ever has to answer. Who was giving this woman to be married to this man? That's tough. That's tough. But once you do it, as parents, you celebrate. You make it a blast for your kids, and you let them know that you are proud and you are thrilled with who they have chosen. Then you release them. One of the greatest hazards to a marriage is when parents continue to hold on when the couple wants to be released. It's what might be called a syndrome there, Velcro mothers. You Velcro mothers? Moms just never release. Listen to what young, one young mom wrote. I never felt completely free to be myself until my mother died. I vowed then not to confine my grown children in boxes of expectations that they can't break out of when they're around me. I'm still vowing to let them be themselves, even when that differs from who I am. It's huge. Several things that all sons and daughter-in-law should keep in mind, though. One, trust good intentions. Most likely your in-laws mean well. They generally care about you. Trust that they mean well. Maybe you have an in-law that's too critical. Now, kind of look at yourself and ask, am I too proud? Second, don't be defensive. What's great about the story in Exodus is that Moses does exactly what his father-in-law tells him and explains to him. He follows his, his advice. Maybe that's because he wasn't, his father-in-law wasn't intrusive in the past. Proverbs 12, 15 says, a wise man listens to advice. One other area that we can improve in our relationships is if my in-laws would reconcile with us. This one's huge. One of my favorite in-law stories in the Bible comes from Matthew 8, 14, and you probably haven't paid much attention to it. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, she got up and began to wait on him. And what's amazing about this is, I wonder why Peter never mentioned his mother-in-law, we don't read about it, mentioned that his mother-in-law was sick to Jesus. He just kind of stumbled on it. And in my wild memory, I think of Jesus going around with the disciples taking prayer requests. Okay, guys, any prayer requests? And he gets to Peter. Peter says, no, I'm good. All good here. And Andrew said, Peter, Peter, what about your mother-in-law? Oh, don't bother him with her. Right? But Jesus heals her. She gets up and he waits on him. I know that there has to be in this room hurt feelings. Hurt feelings that many of you have experienced from in-laws. Some of you have been hurt by cutting remarks by your in-laws. Some of you have hoped and dreamed of a relationship with them, and it's never really turned out to be that. 
Some of you have been literally beat up by comments, by actions of your in-laws. And there might be some unresolved differences that you need to deal with. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, get along with who? Everyone. Ultimately, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do. You can't force someone to accept you and love you. Let it go. You can't force it. But you forgive them even if they don't ask for your forgiveness. And you do your best to continue to build bridges. Here's a few suggestions if you're trying to rebuild or build a bridge between you and an in-law. First, maintain a sense of humor. Maintain a sense of humor. Sometimes nothing helps more than laughing about it. I remember early in our marriage, my, when Brenna's mom would come to visit us in Kentucky, I would just dread it. The reason I would dread it is she was all about improving the first house we bought. So much that I had to go to Home Depot, buy floodlights, shine them on the outside of the house, and we would paint and clean and adjust the outside of the house until 2 in the morning by floodlight. She's a slave driver at that time. But you know today what we laugh about the most? <laughs> yeah, those nights at 2 a.m. in the morning where she was driving me and driving me to fix the house. Laugh with them. Second, focus on the one thing you have in common. Whether it's a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law, there is one person that you both deeply love. Remember them in that. Third, seek to understand rather than be understood. Don't get so wrapped up in the conflict in your opinions and your feelings that you don't listen to the other. Don't seek to be understood. Seek to understand. And then finally, do a self-inventory. Some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, man, I wish my daughter-in-law was here to hear this. Well, you know what? Jeff, how can I, is there a way that I can creatively send this to my mother-in-law and she doesn't know it came from me so she can listen to this message? Those thoughts may be going through your mind. But in Matthew chapter 7, we're told that we should first deal with our own actions before we point out others' mistakes. So ask yourself, in what ways could I be a better in-law? Well, it's a brother-in-law, sister-in-law, mother-in-law, father-in-law. In what ways could I do better? Because most of all, the thing that matters above all else is that you look inside and you make sure you're at peace in the relationship that matters most. And that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you right now are not at peace with your relationship with Jesus Christ, your personal relationship with him, then all your other relationships in life are gonna suffer. And so for the next few moments, 
I just want to give you a chance to do a little self-inventory. Just for a minute here. I want you to bow your head and just evaluate where you are with God. Evaluate where Jesus is with you. And also where you are in all these other relationships that surround you. Go ahead, bow your heads, please. Father, relationships in this world can be complicated. They can be tough. They can be painful. God, they can also be amazing. And God, allow us, in the midst of all the relationships that surround us, to continue to understand family matters. And God, we got to invest in it. But God, for the family to be all that it can be, what matters the most is our relationship with your son, Jesus. And so God, this morning, I pray that that relationship is, is healed, it's strengthened. And God, in some cases, maybe in this room, it needs to be started. And so God, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a true personal relationship with the one that you allowed to die in their place. God, allow this to be the day. They say, hey, tell me about him. Tell me about this Jesus. God, allow him to approach any of us here on this stage. We'd love to talk to him. We praise you and thank you and worship you this day. In Jesus' name.